This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to Dr. Brooke Patterson from La Trobe University and the La Trobe Sports and Exercise Medicine Research Group. We're going to talk to her all about her background as a physiotherapist, a physiotherapy researcher, and then we're going to talk about her research into ACLs. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So I'm really lucky on this podcast, we're 22, 23 episodes in so far, and I've had a bunch of really nice, high quality guests sharing their knowledge and expertise with me. And this week is no exception because I'm talking to Brooke Patterson from the Latrobe Sports and Exercise Medicine Research Group, Latrobe University. And we're talking to Susanna Peritin, or Susanna's co-hosting again, also from LASM and Peritin Physio. So welcome, Brooke, and welcome, Susanna. Thanks, Lou. Hi, Susanna. Thanks for having me. You're doing a great job with the podcasts. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. It's great to have you on board because we had your work buddy, Matt King, on two episodes ago, and Susanna and I had a chat to Matt and had a really nice conversation about his research and um, so in a bit of a segue from his biomechanics research where we spent a bit of time talking about comparing men and women and similarities and differences. And we're going to talk a bit later in this chat about some of your research with women and girls in sport. But before we do that, can you give us everyone a bit of a brief introduction to you and why you're such a good guest, why I'm so excited to get you on the podcast. So about your background and current interests. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Luke. So I'm a physiotherapist by trade. I worked for about four or five years in public and private settings and was kind of going down that sports physio pathway and kind of got to a crossroads. And I met um, Professor Kay Crosley and Dr. Adam Colvinar, who were starting up this LASM research center. And I thought, well, that sounds very cool. Um, I want to be a part of that. And yeah, went down the PhD pathway. Um, before that, I'd actually suffered an ACL injury and had done a little bit of honours research. I'd had a little bit of a taste of it with um, Kate Webster and really enjoyed that. So, um, and yeah, did a PhD and then I've been finished 12, a bit over 12 months now from that um, and now doing full-time research role at La Trobe um, in injury prevention. On the side throughout my PhD, I was also playing football in the AFLW um, and then working a little bit as a physio um, and now I'm doing some coaching. So I guess, yeah, I'm pretty lucky I get to combine my, you know, sporting passions with my work at the moment. Mm. Now, Susanna, as usual, feel free to jump in here as the co-host. Otherwise, I'll just keep going. Well, I was just going to say, um, do you want to elaborate on, on your coaching? Because it's not just coaching at community level. I mean, the, the, this is someone um, that I look up to. Uh, Brooke, she, she's done her PhD. She, she's done some clinical. She, she has been an elite athlete. Um, but what, what led you to the coaching? Yeah, good question, Susanna. I think always as a basketballer and then more recently football I was always a bit of a student of the game, like, you know, always a nerd you know, through school. And yeah, I think that was no different in sport. And I, I like to understand how the game was played. And that was probably one of my strengths as a player was providing that on-field leadership and direction and communication. So I think that, you know, probably stood out. And when I finished up playing, the coaches were obviously happy to keep me around and, and help those younger players coming through. So, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, 
I think it's the same in physio. You kind of think, oh, you're not going to get the same kick from being on the sidelines as you are being out on the field, but you certainly do. You, you're part of the team and if you've got a good team, then, yeah, you, you're getting a lot of reward out of that. A lot of um, stories are going to start with Kay and Adam. So Kay Crosley, your PhD supervisor, my PhD supervisor, and then founder of the Lazem, Lazem Research Group. And so there's so much going on there. And what, why don't we, you mentioned your ACL injury and then you had um, an, an honours project as well. T- tell us a bit about that. So you've, you've got a PhD which focused around ACL injuries and, and you've had an ACL injury yourself and played in elite sport and are coaching in elite sport. Let's go back to your own personal experience. How would your, how did your ACL injury sort of shape your experiences and then your direction as a practitioner and a researcher? Yeah, the ACL injury was halfway through my honours project, which was on ACLs, and I thought I should have got some extra marks for going right. through the process. But um, it was, yeah, really like good learning experience. It sucked at the time, but now looking back, it's, yeah, you're right, it really has kind of shaped my career and I think I was in fourth year physio and I probably thought I knew what I was doing but I certainly didn't um, and made a few mistakes along the way and that's probably helped guide some of my passions for the research as well and I kind of self-guided a bit of my rehab and then got a little bit of help but didn't um, and that was obviously physically challenging mentally challenging and I was and then going on to try and treat patients as well seeing that and then that kind of just drove me to want to be able to get better outcomes for people. So, um, and I really found at the end of my rehab experience, going and participating in your study and Adam's study and doing the testing at Melbourne Uni, that was actually what kickstarted me to actually go be like, oh, actually I'm doing okay. I can get back to sport. Um, I didn't think I was maybe, you know, ready and that, yeah, it gave me real confidence to to get back into it. So I think that was probably subconsciously sparked a little bit of an interest in it, but it wasn't until four years later that I then came across Adam again when it was, you know, coming up to the five-year follow-up and he twisted my arm to like, do you want to, you know, run a study like this? Mm, that's where we met. I was putting reflective markers all <laughs> over you and about to get you to do hopping and jumping and and they had a really good conversation about your, because you, at the time you were doing your honours. I think at that time you'd published a whole bunch of papers during your honours. I think you're a bit of an over performer there. And I think you, that's, it was a memorable conversation that I remember. Um, so, so you mentioned um, mistakes as well in your rehab. So if you had your ACL injury and surgery and rehab again, based on everything you know now from all your research and practice and coaching and, and playing, what would you do differently? Yeah, I would definitely get more guidance. Um, and for the physios listening in, if you ever have an injury, you should always go and see another professional and probably someone you don't know. Um, because, yeah, just to get that feedback on where you're at and and where your gaps are in your strength and your function and keep you accountable. But the biggest mistake I probably made is as soon as I was back playing basketball, I kind of stopped all the gym stuff and which is a pretty common mistake I think I was just you know running playing basketball and um and then I ended up having like a kind of second meniscal repair came kind of you know undone and had to have that resected so but I think that was probably due to yeah not keeping up and and getting those last little gains 
Yeah, so um, having that guidance and that unbiased measurement and assessment from someone you don't know who can tell yeah. you hard things as well. And, and yeah. probably one of those things would have been don't stop the gym based on all the research and, and everything we know now. Yeah, and that's where of some of, yeah, I guess Adam and yours and my research um, led to is trying to understand, well, at that one-year time point. So my PhD study was a longitudinal cohort following up people five years after their ACL reconstruction, and we also had data at one year and three years post-surgery, and we were trying to look at um, what were some of the factors at one year, which is that typical time when people have definitely stopped rehab, are returning to sport, and do some of those things, you know, predict or have associations with worse outcomes in the future, whether they be early arthritis or, um, you know, poor quality of life or reduced physical activity. Um, and the main things that came out of the PhD work were that people – with a higher body mass index, so perhaps people that um, had become less active and, and hadn't returned and um, and then also functional performance on some hot tests was associated with some early osteoarthritis features, um, what we termed worsening. So we looked at MRIs at both time points and looked at the specific structures in the knee like the cartilage, um, bone marrow lesions, osteophytes, meniscal lesions and, and see whether they were degenerating in that kind of four five-year period perfect i mean this is quite topical because on the weekend I, I was covering a football game and i was speaking to the sports stops and the, the other sports um physios and it was about acls and unfortunately uh we did have an, a incident where an acl um injury had happened um but the, the question was and it, uh, you know, how do we rehab them and should we go conservative versus surgical? All of those things that, you know, obviously there's a lot of discussion about it. Um, my sort of point was when I see ACLs in the clinic, I'm always lucky enough that I often work in a sports uh, medicine research uh, centre. So I'll have people, other physios that have a special interest in ACLs. And so if I see someone with an ACL, I'm happy to do the initial bit, but I often will then refer them on um, to someone who pretty much specialises because as you'd known, you just alluded to, um, it's a long journey with the rehab, whether you go conservative, whether you go surgical. Um, and so for me, I've been, like I said, lucky enough to be able to refer these people on because realistically in the clinic, you don't see a lot of them um, continually. So what would you, or what would your advice be to say new grads um, in a clinic and they see an ACL? I mean, what should they do? What sort of resources um, could they go to? Yeah, it's a great question, Susanna. And I think, um, you know, I'd kind of just started doing it and, and learning and probably making mistakes again as a clinician as you went. Um, so I wouldn't, I think they definitely need to reach out to their experienced clinicians around them or reach out to people that they may know in the field that be, might be able to, you know, also co-treat um, treat them might be a, a good way. So not just kind of handballing it because um, they're not going to learn by by doing that. So I would try and do some co-treating and and access some of the, there's some really good clinical guidelines. There's lots of research in the ACL space. So um, some nice kind of easy to read clinical guidelines about the key assessment pieces you should be looking at and all the different elements of the rehab. Um, I would also be tying into our exercise 
um, science professionals as well if if you're not confident in programming strength power running programs return to sport programs and even doing some co-management with with those professionals as well that's a really yeah. important point that co-management and that multidisciplinary teams but as Susanna said particularly a team that has a specialist in that team as well someone that you can refer to or you're comfortable working with you can't yeah. really work on your own you can and to a certain extent, but there's only it's very limited what you can do. You have to work with other people, don't you? Yeah, and as Susanna said, it's a long journey. So for the patient themselves as well to have different voices isn't necessarily a bad thing. So you kind of have to leave your ego um, behind and, yeah, accept that you might yeah, have missed something or you might not have thought about something for a while for that patient and having a fresh set of eyes can help with that. What are some resources just off the top of your head? for those who perhaps don't work with people with ACL injury every day and they, they heard you say there's some really good clinical guidelines and you know and other resources where can we steer people and it, if you don't have any off the top of your head I can always put them in the show notes at the end as well yeah I think oh I wouldn't be able to reel off the author's loop but that's okay <laughs> um there's there's a handful of clinical guidelines that have been done in the last um six years and then there's the melbourne return to sport guide that randall cooper and mick hughes have put together um you know you should definitely check out christian barton and danilo's um trek website they have a lot of resources there as well for my i did a pilot rct in my phd as well which we kind of identified people that were at risk of these worse outcomes in the future at 12 months um based on if they were you know functioning poorly or had poor self-reported function and pain and symptoms and we developed a little intervention um, which included um, eight different types of exercises some education so there's actually a website that we can link the listeners to as well which have got all the education leaflets and the exercise videos um, for that as well so there we are i put you on the spot and i felt a little bit guilty as i was doing it and, but then you've reeled off all these really nice resources. So we've got the Trek website. We've Mick and Randall have been on the podcast before and talked about their return to sport guidelines. There's other published um, guidelines that I can find and put in the show notes. And your pilot ICT with your website and resources. So there we go. If you're interested in ACLs and you, you feel like that's an area that you want to upskill in, stacks of stuff out there. Yeah, and you and like um, Brooke said, I mean, obviously I don't just handball them. Like I do sort of work together a little bit, um, but mainly I, I like to, if, if there's someone that specialises in that particular field um, and that's what they like seeing, I'm happy to, you know, co-treat or um, get them to that because there's always that bit where you've got that rehab and then you've got that strength and conditioning. Um, and I know particularly in sports that can be a bit blurred. And if you are able to sort of marry that together, so you end up doing a little bit of the strength and conditioning and whoever, whether that's you and you keep going or whether then you incorporate another professional, if you can sort of do that seamlessly, um, it can work really, really well. The issue is, is when, you know, the rehab, you go really well and then you just sort of go, okay, here you go, strength and conditioning, off they go to the gym and they do their own thing and that's when they're either going to underload or overload um, and then their return to sport um, becomes a little bit uh, dicey. So, uh, like you, you had your experience. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. So having that touch point back with the physio, I think it is really important to make sure that the knees, you know, staying quiet and um, doing some of those clinical assessment pieces as well as a good model. And I guess the, the other thing, and you, you talk about Adam Colvener, um, and I think it's you as well that's uh, part of the super knee. Um, and if, you know, ACLs is something that, you know, the listener's thinking, oh, I'd lo- really like to get involved. Um, getting involved in research can be a really good way as well in terms of finding out um, if they're looking for clinicians um, to be involved with certain research because you always end up i mean it's the same with your uh, prep to play educating uh, the clinicians um, and you get so much great information the other thing is is you get a stream of these particular patients so in the clinic you might see one or two in say six months to a year and then you go into a uh, part of a research group and you're one of the clinicians and then you get to see, you know, one every week or so. So um, that's another option. What what do you think, Brooke? Yeah, that's a great way to get involved and get a bit of a taste of research, as you, as you said. So I would strongly encourage new grads out there to keep an eye on, yeah, whether it's LASM or other, you know, sports medicine research groups. And, you know, you might be able to be a participant or you might be able to be a, a treating physio. Um, and yeah, the super knee trials are a great one um, as well. If um, so it kind of led on from my PhD work. So you know how I said that, you know, people have got worse function and um, that might lead to worse outcomes, but we don't actually know yet. And there's not much research around the world as if you actually address the function and make people stronger, does that actually um, slow or delay or halt the progression of arthritis and, and deterioration in symptoms and quality of life? So that's what Adam's super knee project is going to look at, which is really exciting. So that's Adam Colvin, we mentioned before, and and you do a quick Google Scholar search and you'll see plenty of research from Adam. And I'm going to put a link to all the nice resources and the trials and everything that you've said there in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on a run or a walk or in the car, don't look at the show notes. Keep doing your your driving and your, your walking and running, but afterwards look them up because you might as well follow up on these ideas if you're interested in on them. So what about your work as a practitioner, as a physio, Brooke? So you've mentioned the importance of measuring, assessing function and considering people's structure of their knee. You mentioned really early in the conversation the mental as well as the physical um, contributions or problems that you can have during knee rehab. So considering everything you know as a coach, former player, current athlete, I'm sure you're still playing sports, um, practitioner, researcher, all the good things you've done, where would you focus as a new grad now? What are the most important foundational knowledge and skills you think for a practitioner in the field that you're in? Oh, asking the big hitting questions, Luke. It's very broad though. You can sort of <laughs> you can sort of do whatever you want with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of what, where, do you, where do you put your, what skills and knowledge do you always take with you to work? You can't go to work without. <laughs> Um, I think the big, the biggest thing with any injury and, you know, ACLs in particular is that um, end stage rehab. So as soon as uh, the patients feel like they can do most things, 
um, even if they might still have some of those outstanding deficits, which we know from the literature, even though people are back playing sport, they do still have those deficits. Um, mm. It's trying to value your skills as a practitioner in terms of your education and ongoing assessment and not necessarily feeling like you need to be giving them a million different new fancy exercises every time that they come back and having those longer term touch points to try and help that end stage and try and help that longer term joint health as well that it's not just you know get back to running and you know i'm ready to return to sport and then that's it and then i think probably my experience as an athlete and an injured athlete a lot of the time and now a coach is trying to talk to those people and it's hard when you're in private practice to have you don't even know who these people are or let alone how to kind of communicate with them so it's trying to open up that dialogue but with the athlete and the coach to try and bridge that gap between you know as Susanna said that in you know they've finished their, their gym and they're ready for this um, but there's a lot of steps in between, which I think is where the crucial elements do lie in terms of preventing re-injury. And um, so, yeah, I love it now because I can kind of combine my physio skills with my coaching skills and, you know, definitely for football and basketball, I'd have to do a bit more research for other sports, but trying to think of things that that athlete needs from a re-injury perspective, but also needs from a, like a sport-specific perspective and trying to merge merge the two so i think as a clinician you can just ask the the person in front of you what are the things that you need to be able to do or what are the things you are most fearful about and it might link back to the injury mechanism as well and even though they might want to you know put on the brave face and say no nah, i'm not you know i'm not worried about that i've seen it in the athletes that have had those major injuries whether it's a subconscious thing when they get into that situation, you can see the the hesitation or the, they might change the way that they, they do things. So um, you really have to keep like digging and, and progressing towards those higher level movements and skills. What a great answer. Sounds like you're considering from a research perspective as well as a player and a coach and a practitioner, that person's you know, whole life. You're thinking about their health across their lifespan. You're not just thinking about getting them back to an endpoint return to sport. You're thinking about the impact of the current um, sport and what they're doing on the future joint health and them as a person. Mm. And that's something we, you know, Adam and I have spoken a lot about with some of our trials is, um, and it's come up from clinicians as well, is do you talk about arthritis? Do you talk about all this like bad stuff that might might happen or might not in the future and um, always the concern from clinicians is that it might cause fear, more fear and catastrophization within the patient but I think if you do it in the right way it's just really important information for that person because what we saw at five years when a lot of these patients were coming back is when they started to get maybe some symptoms um, you know, they might have lifestyle might have changed. They've dropped off exercise, and they didn't know what to do, or they weren't expecting it, and they didn't see anyone. And then, you know, a couple of years go on, and it deteriorates. So, giving them, arming them before they leave you um, is going to help them down the track. And that, and that's a perfect um, thing to do. And I often do that, particularly with sports injuries, 
um, that are quite severe or more sort of your chronic long term. I'll often give um, patients something that they can assess um, and I'll get them to assess it all the time. So whether that's hip range of motion, knee range of motion, something like knee to wall for the ankle, um, and I'll get them to assess it every day. And that way they will know what their ankle, knee, hip, you, you might do a shoulder, like a push-up or something. Um, but if they do it every day, then they'll know the subtleties of when it's starting to not feel so good. Um, and then they have the opportunity to see if they can improve it by some simple exercises, stretches, and then reassess and see if that has improved it. And if it's improved it, great. But if it hasn't improved it, then they know that when they're playing sport or they're going to training, they know they need to sort of back off a little bit. Um, and then the other thing that I tell them is, if you can't settle it, this down yourself within a week, that's the time to go and, and see me again or see someone. Um, so exactly what you're saying. So letting them know that flare-ups of injuries is normal, um, especially when, you know, you're feeling good, you tend to sometimes overdo it and just knowing what to do. And like you said, Brooke, sometimes the lifestyle changes, you know, family might be an issue you know you might start a family and now your time that you used to take for going for long runs although in our instance Luke when we had babies decided to take up ultra marathon running <laughs> I was gonna say not in your household you make the kids run laps of marathons around your house Henry ran 6k's with me last night what's that in miles for our uh, North American friends yeah don't know well, he did 10Ks with me the other week. So. He's only nine years old. So, hey, he, he, it's his idea, everyone, before you get into <laughs> us about making our kids do this. He loves no, it. it's a good point, Susanna. Like for the knees, um, you can easily with gym equipment, patients with gym equipment can test themselves with like a, you know, three, five RM on a leg extension or a hamstring curl or what are they squatting? What can they hop? Um, there's so many different things you can do. And we know from the literature as well that actually like strength and function shouldn't really start to deteriorate until after you're, you know, 40, 50. Um, so, yeah, people might kind of think, oh, well, you know, I'm just getting older, I'm getting weaker. There's no reason why you can't maintain or even continue to improve your strength in that kind of sporting um, age. It's a really and important I message, yeah. And, that, and that's that's an important yeah exactly that's an important message because there's a lot of research out there or this is mainly previous research where they show you know a decrease in strength decrease in endurance all these sorts of figures um, but what they're doing is they're when you look at the population this is a population that did become more sedentary when they're you know going into older age so what did you expect um, but there is some nice research showing that you know a lot of these strength um, power endurance all those sorts of measures if you continue to work them yes you'll get older and yes you may decline a bit but it may not be that significant compared to those that do take the, the low road and um, sort of withdraw a little bit and um, do more sedentary lifestyles. Yeah, I think as well with the ACL injured population, especially the adolescents, and we know they're like at a higher, higher risk, particularly women and girls, is they might not come from a background where they've participated in resistance training. Um, so 
it's not going to be a natural thing for them to continue. They'll do it for their rehab. It's not going to be natural for them to continue it after that. And then many reasons for that. It's a, you know, a societal thing of, you know, women and girls being in the gym, but that's another tip I think is to understand like what people enjoy, how they would like to do their rehab. Um, what are some of the barriers that might exist for a, a young girl, you know, getting in the, in the gym. Mm, and that's what we're going to talk about on part two of our conversation. It's going to come out next week. We're going to record it now. And I think it would be remiss of me not to mention one of the big topics we're going to talk about in next week's episode, which is the Women in Sport um, Congress. And I only bring it up now because isn't the um, deadline for abstract, abstract submission very soon? We yeah, should mention thanks, it this Lou. week, right? <laughs> um, on Monday, the 13th of June, early bird registrations close. So, yeah, okay. it's a really exciting Congress. Um, it's a Women in Sport Congress. We've partnered with the Australian Institute of Sport um, and it's bringing together national, international experts in um, practitioners and people working in community to elite um, with female athletes. So there's kind of six broad topics and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to remember them all off the top of my head but injury prevention rehab is one of them that's my area um pelvic health breast health and pregnancy um there's menstrual health and its impact on injury and performance there's leadership and inclusion there's um women of all abilities and Susanna help me out here there is some strength and conditioning and strength oh, performance and coaching how could mm. i forget mm. um so there'll be keynote speakers in each of those we're calling for case presentations so clinicians who have, might have had an interesting case can submit researchers in those areas can submit abstracts and it's really modest pricing compared to other sports medicine conferences um so yeah definitely check it out and we'll pop the link in the website excellent Let's go into details of the origin of that and then some of the presentations and then more broadly women and girls in sport in the next episode. Um, Brooke, we really appreciate the work that you do. You're, for example, the British Journal of Sports Medicine um, podcast team. You're a part of that podcast team and host there. All the work you're doing in LASM, all of the your PhD work, it's making a big difference, making a big impact for people because, you know, 20 years ago when I started, none of this existed. We're really in the dark about a lot of the topics you've been talking about today. And it's also really good to have Susanna and you going back and forward with your clinical experience and application of some of the research you've been talking about. So let's leave it there. And thank you very much for, for coming on for a chat. Cheers. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Susanna. And so listeners, if you've, obviously, if you found this interesting, as I'm sure you have, please share the episode. Tag us in at Periton Physio, and then you can find all the links to all the things that Brooke and Susanna have mentioned in the show notes. So click on that, and you can find links to this episode to share it in on our website, periton.physio. So thanks very much, Brooke and Susanna, for a really interesting chat today. And until next time, this is Brooke, Susanna, and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development, and lifelong learning. 